Welcome to another edition of Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you this afternoon. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Very good, thanks. Today on the program, we're talking about social entrepreneurship, and we're going to be speaking with Maxime Morin, the co-founder of Rose Buddha. Maxime is an actress, former TV radio personality. She went into business on her own uh, in this uh, athleisure business, athletic leisure clothing, um, leggings, accessories, stuff like that, all eco-friendly, all ethical, and uh, and fair trade. So really interesting business. Maxime Morin joins us in a little while. We'll talk to uh, my colleague, actually. Sometimes we have our colleagues uh, at uh, our firm, TNKR Media, talking about PR content and uh, related issues. So my friend Christopher Paré is on the program today. Chris, uh, if the name sounds familiar, used to be the, the producer of the great Tommy Schnurmacher show here on CJAD, and he's also a skilled marketer. He worked for Humane Society after leaving CJAD for a while, so he's going to tell us uh, some tips and tricks to get involved in good causes with your business. But first, Mike, as usual, uh, thought leadership, and we'll get to some stories. But first, um, talking about cause marketing and Maxime's project and how how cause marketing is so central to to her business, um, it, it it brings up the the topic I think of effective altruism or uh, EA, and I, I like this school of philosophy because it really to boil it down, it tells people to simply do charity well. All you have to do is give away a bit of yourself, give away a bit of your time, your expertise, give away what you're good at. And to me, for companies that are thinking about you know what can we do to help, what can we do to contribute. I just always say, if you can't come up with a good, you know, catchy marketing campaign or something, just give away your your time, give away your 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 knowledge. Yeah, you know, I, you used uh, you used uh, I guess the proper term. I look at it as altruistic integrity. At the end of the day, is you know, you're you're going to get into something. You're going to uh, contribute, whether that's dollars, whether that's time, whether that's you know, product in kind. Uh, the reality is, is you know. Do it for the right reason. Uh, don't do it because ultimately, at the end of the day, it looks really good in a marketing campaign. I, I think people see right through that, and I, and I think we live in a world of of insincerity on a daily basis. And uh, and and I think if you're going to spend that time and that effort, uh, give back. Do it. Do it properly. Do it with a purpose. Do it with your heart, and 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 do it for a cause that you believe in. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than than trying to get involved in something you don't believe in. You'll never commit to it properly. You know, part of the show, I think, um, does follow the principles of, of effective altruism. And you guys have just been giving away your knowledge the whole time for this 13 years, which is why I love doing the show. It's the only sponsored content show that I do for this reason, because of your commitment, uh, Mike and FL, to, uh, to just giving away your knowledge. And that's, that's something that people have only been coming around to lately. There wasn't a whole lot of sponsored content 13 years ago that was doing that kind of thing. So thanks again for taking that on. Thank you for noticing. I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, we've looked at over the years and I go back with, uh, you know, when, when Josh and I, when I got this off the ground, uh, Josh Miller and I got this off the ground in whatever it was, 2008 or nine, or, uh, you know, the concept here was ultimately at the end of the day to, to, to try and to, to share the knowledge, but to share experience at the end of the day. And we all recognize that we all win from a coaching, mentoring, training environment, if we can share stories and share an environment. And, and you know, if you believe what you're talking about, then it makes sense. I mean, you know, Marjorie and I have had this conversation when it comes to topics. If I don't believe in the topic that we're talking about, and, and especially when it comes to the thought leadership component, I just can't do it. 
you know, and, and, you know, I, I don't like to think that I'm going to go into a conversation faking it uh, because I just don't think that it sends the proper message at the end of the day. And, and, you know, the, the, the firm has definitely committed uh, to trying to make our community better. Um, and whether that's our team being involved in things or whether it's uh, it's the radio show, it, it, it's about sharing knowledge. Yeah, I got to say, uh, your marketing and so effective and it helps people on radio shows like this. So that's it's it's a really great um, it's a great example for everyone. So anyway, I'm not going to keep flattering you guys. Um, moving on. Uh, speaking of of setting good uh, conditions in your business um, for 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 success, let's talk about coaching for a little bit. And this piece from Entrepreneur.com: the five preconditions for effective coaching. Uh, I'll run through them quickly and, and ask for your comments, Mike. Goal orientation, good relationship between coach and coachee, uh, having someone who's coachable having someone who feels responsible and having a collaborative mindset. Yeah, this one I can go on for a couple of hours on because I think there's a component here that is equally uh, important and that is uh, twofold. One is uh, the coaching comp- the coaching side, so those that are providing coaching, but it's also the coachee, the individual on the other end who is receiving the coaching. If they are not invested in the process, what am I going to teach them? You know, you, you, people have sat in school and looked at those teachers and have looked and said, you know, there are some kids who just eat up the information. Other kids don't want to be there. How do you get them to to learn? Well, how do you coach somebody that doesn't want to be coached? I coached my son's hockey team for over a decade. Got to tell you, you can pick out the kids that want to be coached versus those that don't want to be coached from the beginning. And, and that ability to break through, it doesn't mean you give up on them. Don't get me wrong. But what it does mean is it, it, it tailors the approach and, and you have to come at it from a different perspective. And I think that, you know, part of our society has become lazy. Um, they expect to be coached. They don't expect to learn and coach themselves. And, and I think we need an equal buy-in from both in order for a proper coaching process uh, to work in an organization. This from the Forbes Business Council. Mike, what is the key leadership attribute, uh, according to science, that is behind a healthy workplace culture? Well, you know, it's uh, ultimately at the end of the day, there's got to be some kind of strength and confidence and, and you know, humbleness or humility are, are the keys here in terms of what we're looking at. I mean, the, it's very easy to stand up and pontificate. Uh, it's very easy to stand up there and separate yourself from everybody else. Making that connection with everybody that you're leading and who you're working with is a much more challenging effort than it is to talk to them, talking with them. Uh, and that involves obviously listening, communication, showing appreciation. Uh, you know, the biggest one to me is being human and be relatable. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, this, uh, you know, if you're uh, none of the organizations should have an individual who sits in a glass tower and, and uh, you know, like I said, pontificates to the organization. You need to be in there. We've talked about rolling up your sleeves, getting into the trenches with your team. Uh, if you're not going to have humility, I, I just don't see how you get ultimate buy in and respect. This is from the author, Chad Chu of Australia, who did the study. Team leaders must understand the true impact of humility, as it can have a huge impact on the well-being and productivity of their team. Embrace it and you will thrive. 100%. You know, humility is going to go uh, front and center on everything. And yeah, you need to be confident. And yeah, you need to be uh, assertive. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? If you can't make a connection and you can't have that emotional intelligence component to what you're doing, you're just going to churn through employees and uh, we'll go back to the first part. Your coaching is not going to be so successful. I want to talk about manager jargon for a little bit. It's a, it's kind of a fun, a fun little segment here. And I, I saw the story um, as well this week, and it's from Fast Company. Seven expressions that can uh, kill employees' trust 
in managers and um, they're very funny and very jargony, especially over email. We can talk about that, you know, circling back and, and whatnot. Um, I'm sorry that you feel that way is one. I didn't say that is another. Um, it's company policy. I know we promised this to you, but sorry, I changed my mind. I need you in this role. Copy me on everything. What, what are some of those <laughs> jargon things that you think we should avoid? They sound like Jeopardy categories to me. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Dan, I'll take, uh, you know, I'm sure you feel that way for 200. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the, again, this, this whole concept of how you, how you relate to people and how people buy what you're saying to them. And, you know, the moment you hide behind company policy, uh, it, you know, what does it mean? It means you either believe the company policy and are therefore promoting it, or you don't believe it and are therefore hiding behind it. Either way, it doesn't really sell uh, sell to the employees. Uh, you know, when I looked at it, uh, I turned the seven into 10 because a lot of these articles I, I, I send around our office and to partners and managers and, and, you know, trying to bring up the, the EI quotient a little bit at the end of the day. And I, and I added three, uh, that I find that, you know, I think we all live at the end of the day that, that are either trust or, or respect killers. And the other, the remaining three are sending inconsistent messages, uh, there's nothing worse than, you know, either changing your mind on an ongoing basis or giving three people three different messages. You you know, don't think they're not going to talk to each other at the end of the day. Um, be assertive, not aggressive. Uh, and and for a lot of people, that's a, there's a fine line there. Uh, some people think that, you know, in your face and, and, and being aggressive is being assertive and confident. And, and it's not. In some cases, it's just downright rude. Uh, and you certainly don't win respect by being aggressive. And the last one is don't burn bridges. And, you know, we see this, uh, you know, across the board, whether that's internally by, you know, upsetting somebody, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm a manager and, and, and I upset somebody uh, in a way I'm dealing with things, it's going to come back to you at some point. And when you, when you burn that bridge, somebody's not going to work, want to work for you. Mike, what about over email? This is a concern for so many managers. You know, it takes so much time, frankly, to write emails. Uh, I'm, I find myself making the joke, I'm, I'm the CEO, chief email officer, ha, ha, ha. Uh, but no, it really is. It, are there any phrases that, that need to be in emails, especially to staff? The one that I can think of in encouraging people to write from a PR perspective internally is come see me if you have any questions. Um, I learned that from actually CJD's boss a while ago. I found he was all, Chris is always so approachable, and uh, I found that was a nice, nice little trick. Come see me if you have questions. Yeah, the problem I have with email is a lot of people hide behind it. Um, those people would not have the same chutzpah uh, if they were face to face with you as they would when they're writing an email. It's also very quick and easy to throw out a thought process and go, mm, okay, think about it after is where if I'm coming to you to talk to you, I'm going to think through that, that exercise. And I think the big one, obviously, or the big problem that remains a uh, tone and context. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's clear when I send an email that, uh, you know, I'm joking or I'm serious or I'm whatever it is. It's not always, you know, it's not always related that way. And we have not gotten to the point where the top of the email says, uh, this is serious. Please pay attention, you know, um, in, in the way we do it. So I think email etiquette is, is you know, has taken a real big hit in COVID. Uh, as it became probably the biggest means of communication uh, while everybody was uh, working remotely. And, and as we know, we are not coming back 110% in the office. We are going to continue to have some kind of hybrid environment for a lot of professions. People are going to have to learn how to use email properly. And for something that's been around a long time and for all the technological advancements and improvements we have made, we have yet to find that proper use of email and how that we do it. And, and like you said, having, you know, giving, leaving that door 
door open where the communication after the email is, hey, you know what, if this wasn't clear, please feel free to ask me. If you don't know, if you're not sure about what my tone is, please ask the question. Don't go home and stew for the next 24 hours because you, you may have misread into it. And uh, Mike, we're t- taking on another fashion brand today, and this is a really interesting company um, that started from the ground up. I mean, really from from scratch. Let's introduce our entrepreneur today. Maxime Morin is the co-founder of the clothing and accessory maker Rose Buddha. Maxime, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Hi, I'm very happy to be here today. First question is the easy one. What is Rose Buddha? <laughs> what is Rose Buddha? Can you answer that? <laughs> this question? Rose Buddha is an athleisure wear uh, brand based in Montreal. And um, everything we make, we create, we uh, we try to create um, in respect of the, of the planet and the people. So we use eco-friendly fabrics and um, we are ethical in our way of, you know, paying people. Um, we... Um, like, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm looking for my words in English. I've been I'm a little rusty, but uh, yeah, that's it. So we're ethical and eco-friendly and we're based in Montreal and it's comfortable clothes for women, uh, for yoga. That's pretty much it. Maybe uh, take take the concept of ethical and uh, eco friendly. I mean, we've talked, we've done this before on the show, but I think your you, you, your angle here is probably a little bit different than everybody else. So, you know, what do you wh- where did you start? Why did you start with that kind of eco friendly? Mm-hmm. Was it a sustainable model? Do you see that as being the future? Maybe get into that a little bit for us. When we started the Rose Buddha, um, at the beginning, it was just a little project on the side. Uh, I was working as an actress, and the co-founder, Madeleine, was working as a host and a, a director. We're from the communication world, and we we were also yoga teachers. So we wanted to create a product that we couldn't find on the market at the time. Almost six years ago, uh, we needed to have a. We wanted to have a, an eco-friendly product that would feel very comfortable, and um, was also um, not um, was cute, you know. Um, so we've created this legging just to have something for fun. Uh, we created two hundred pairs of leggings and I was thinking my family is going to wear those leggings for for 10 years you know they're going to be stuck in my garage and uh, well we'll have some leggings for for a decade but um, in 24 hours we sold absolutely everything so we realized that okay we we have something people are very um, or eager to to have um an eco-friendly product. And uh, why we decided to do it eco-friendly, it's it's just that it, I don't think if you are a, a business person and you, are, uh, you have an idea, you want to create something that you, you can put aside um, the eco-friendly um, uh, subject. You, you have to think about the planet. We, we didn't want to put an extra, you know, some more leggings on the planet. The planet doesn't need any, le- you know, more leggings. You, there's Lululemon and there's other brands. So it was very important to, to us to create this product that was completely in um, 
close to our values. We're moms and we, we want our kids to be able to live on this planet and to have kids that can live on this planet. So I think when you're an entrepreneur, you have the responsibility to create something that's going to, that's going to cause less harm. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that, yeah. Makes Definitely. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So, oh, so, so what is, what does eco-friendly mean to you? What, 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 in, in terms of the products, in terms of the process, in terms of how you source? Uh, we want to be the closer to home as possible. So where, where's the, 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 the material from, uh, the people we work with. So this is eco-friendly. Eco-friendly doesn't, you know, it's not just planting trees. It's also where you you make your clothes. So we make our clothes uh, very close to home, and we use also materials that can that are either recycled, like a recycled plastic bottle, or um, biodegradable. And more and more, uh, we're using natural fibers because it make it, it just makes sense. Um, because you know the, the the shirt that I'm wearing right now is a hundred percent cotton. So at at the end of his life, um, if it's in a landfill, it's just gonna you know decompose and norms gonna be caused. Um, but with something that is mixed with a lot of spandex or a, a mix of fibers, it's a lot harder to to decompose. You, you you made a point that was a very interesting one in the discussion of values, and, and and this is something I think that we have watched an evolution of in terms of an entrepreneurial approach. Is over time the values of an entrepreneur have changed. They've modified. They've morphed. You know, people say they're good, they're bad. It, it, I'm not looking for an opinion. I, I guess the concept mm -hmm. is values have changed, and I think it's key for an entrepreneur to bring their set of morals and values into whatever business they are. I mean, you brought in the you know leave leave the world in a less harmful place than than, mm -hmm. than where it was before. What are some of the other values that, that that you and your partner share that that you look at every day and go, no, I just can't live if we don't do A, B, or C. I couldn't, I, I can't live with myself, like knowing that someone that worked on her clothes from the tread to the end, to the, the, the people, you know, the, the consumer's hands, that somewhere someone got hurt or was underpaid or, you know, was even, even stressed, like under too much stress. It can be. You know, it's not just a, a third world problem. If if the, the the working conditions, even if it's here, are not good, I, I I can't live with myself. I want the people that are working on our products to feel good and be comfortable working on on this project. So, um, yeah, that that's it. I think. So your manufacturing process that you're working, so you're talking about that. How how do you do that here? How do you maintain those? You know, it's it, it's nice to sit and and, and draft a, a document with our morals and our exposures. How do you put yeah. that in play? How do you ensure that the? I mean, where are you manufacturing? What does the manufacturing setup look like? How do you maintain that that goal that you have of those values uh, and to put them into play? Uh, we know every manufacturer. Um, we we've been there. Or if we haven't been there, we we've talked with them, we've seen them. Um, 
we go with certified um, manufacturers, uh, certified um, materials, and we are always looking for the highest quality of um, manufacturers or um, fabrics. And, um, you know, we, we don't put all our eggs in the same basket. Like we work with different manufacturers and we work with very, very small ones. Uh, some women that there are, you know, just a little group of women, a little community um, and some big factories also. So we try to have, you know, different points of, um, of, of confection of, of workers. Um, I think this is also very important and it, it's a relationship. The people we we've been working uh, from the, you know, most of, of the people we're working with, we started working with them at the very beginning, um, five and a half years ago. So we've built this relationship and it, it's great because now if they have a problem, we can say, okay, we understand it's good, you know, half and half, we're, we'll split the right. cost. And, and it's the same um when we have a problem. So this relationship building is so important. Are you having trouble with sourcing at this point, like everybody else is? Or oh, is that yeah. been... <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, when we heard that you could have a lot of problem finding some, um, some organic cotton or uh, recycled uh, polyester, say, okay, we need to buy a lot. Uh, so we, we bought a lot more fabric that, we we should not should have but that we would have and um it helped us because also we work with very small manufacturers we were able to be very responsive so this it, it's been um a very good decision i think uh to uh, also work with very small manufacturers and and have some uh something in the fridge that we can work with <laughs> that's how i see it we always need you know, milk and butter in the fridge. So with milk and butter, it's like organic cotton and recycled polyester. We're good. We can create something. Um, Mike, let's get back to the business model, which I think is really interesting and certainly a lot of pressure on manufacturers uh, these days. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the things, uh, Maxim, just before we broke for uh, for the break was was the discussion of buying up supplies in advance, knowing that, you know, the, the, the supply chain could, uh, could be problematic. I mean, it, in theory, it's a great statement. Uh, in practice, you got to come up with the money. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe give us a little bit of insight in how you guys started financially, and then where that's led with that that ability, like you said, to make sure you've got butter and milk in the fridge, to mm -hmm. uh, to ensure you've got those staples available when you need them. We started with absolutely no money. I at the time I was kind of broke. <laughs> I uh, just had a baby. Um, I was working as an actress and as a radio host also sometimes. Um, and we, we, we started with like $200. Madeleine, the, the other co-founder asked me, oh, do you have $200? We could, you know, have this made. We, we can work with this designer and it's going to cost like $400. Okay. So I, I got my $200, but it was a lot. At the time, um, I remember I I even forgot to I, I didn't pay my electricity bill and I hydro was cut, you know. So um, 
it's with a $200 there here, another $200 there. And slowly we, we, we went from the idea to the finished product, but we started with a small quantity. We started with 250 leggings and slowly we took our, our pennies, you know, and at the end we could afford this 250 uh, pairs of leggings, but we did everything else by ourselves. Um, we're from the communication world. So we built our uh, website, everything we did by ourselves. Uh, we uh, wrote the, you know, uh, publicities, uh, we took the pictures, we did absolutely everything. So it was cost effective because we did absolutely everything apart from, do, you know, create the leggings. So when we sold them all, uh, we took the money and bought some more. And this is how we started. It's it, like, like doing Legos, it was building blocks, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. We grew very, very fast, but every time we had the same strategy, like a little bit more at the time. So we never went to the bank for money because we we use you we you, use our own money. Right. You auto you auto financed from everything that yeah. was coming in. So where where do you take that going forward? I mean, what is the goal for Rosewood? And, and and you know, are you looking at being local? Are you looking at focusing on a few products? Are you looking at going global? And how do you think that's gonna change uh, the the business plan? Oh, we're working on that today, <laughs> actually. Uh we are thinking about uh, opening one store. Uh, probably that is going to be, you know, that that like this one Rose Buddha store, and opening to the rest of Canada for sure. Uh, we've been in, in Quebec only for for the past years, uh, mainly because we were always sold out. So every time we had made plans to go, you know, out west or Toronto or Ottawa, we're oh we're sold out. So we're not going to invest in new markets because we're sold out. So now that. We have inventory, we're more solid, we have a good team. Um, now we feel strong enough to open some new markets. And probably now, because we, we need a little bit more money to open some new markets, we're going to have to uh, look at you know a way to, to finance uh, those projects. But it's going to be a, a first for us to uh, say, okay, okay, let's go and get some money. Maybe not, but what we have in our heads, all the, the beautiful projects that we have, uh, we're going to probably need a little bit of money for that. But we're still, you know, natural growth is very important for us. It's, um, it, it's interesting. A lot of entrepreneurs have gone from one life to a completely different life like you have, right? You've mm -hmm. gone from acting and communications to manufacturing and selling a product. The big difference here is you can actually take the education that you had in the communications world and, and use it going forward. How do you think that's benefited you? And, and, I, and I would assume that gives you an advantage after over a lot of people. Oh, in a major way. I think just on, a product is a story. You need to tell a story around the product. You know, a, a legging is a legging, a shirt is a shirt. But what's the story behind it? What What's the story that the, the company is, is, is telling uh, so to create this lifestyle brand, I think we had an advantage because we knew how to tell stories. 
and to write um, press release is also right. Go, yeah, sure, it goes a long way and take. I mean, first of all, if you're if you're if you're bootstrapping it and you're financing it yourself, you don't have to pay somebody else to do that. So that's also an advantage in, in that mm-hmm. exercise. You know, it, it, and it's inter- it's interesting because I look at you know one of my questions to you was going to be like you know, what separates you from, from the competition? And, you know, is it, some people will say, well, it's at style or it's material or it's, you know, I, I listen to you and, and, you know, I think the differentiation really is, is a philosophical one and a values driven one as much as it is a product one. Yeah, exactly. It, it's really, you know, for us, you know, to put women first, is so important to put the people first is so important what we say is even the people who were working at Rosbuda it, it's it's almost a family it's a, it's a philosophy it's a way of life that we want to you know um inspire uh we want to inspire our clients to uh live their Rosbuda Rosbuda way to take care of each other to love yourself more take care of the planet you know, it's it's um, holistic. It's it's very holistic. Let's dig into that a little bit more. The the work life balance in in Rose Buddha. What's it like to work for Rose Buddha, and how do you yourself incorporate uh, that work life balance into your own life? Oh, that's a very good. Especially with kids. Oh yeah, um, I'm a mom. I have two kids, and one is very very uh, active. Uh, the past years with the, you know, the COVID and everything was not an easy one for work-life balance. And I'm not the only one who struggled, I'm sure. But what is important, and we wanted our employees also to um, understand how it's important to take care of yourself first. So to work for Rose Buddha, for myself, I try to have a very um, rigid schedule, uh, never to start before the kids are out of the house, work very hard when they're out of the house, but when they come back from school, it's over. Maybe if I have to take a call or look at an email, you know, when they're asleep, I'll do it, but I'm not going to work at night and I'm not going to work when... They're, they're, they're back from school and I'm not going to work before they're gone. So this is really important and I have to stick with that or I'll, you know, I'll lose myself completely. And that's what I um, we want our employees to do also, take care of themselves. If they need, you know, a personal day, just say it. If you say, hey, I'm going to go to the spa today, I, I need to relax, like, go. Um, go get a massage, uh, stay home, just, you know, watch Netflix all afternoon if it's what you need. But listen to you need, take care of yourself because no one is going to, you know, do it for you. For you, um, We are our first uh, natural resource, if I can say. We're a little uh, small ecosystems and we need to take care of, of this ecosystem. And Dan, that's why you and I get along and do this show so well together, because it's not a question I ever think of asking when it comes into a work-life balance discussion. So we are very different philosophically, and uh, and uh, I continue to learn that uh, balance is, uh, is important. Uh, and maybe before I retire, I'll figure out what that is. <laughs> but, you know, balance, a perfect balance, it, it doesn't exist. We're 
always off balance a little bit. But what's important is to notice when you're off balance. Say, okay, I'm off balance. You know, I, I, it was too much in my work, or I was, I, you know, right. didn't take care of the way I eat or whatever. It's too and that, and, and, right. And that goes back to the question we said earlier, what are the values that you bring into your business that are key mm -hmm. to you? Right. And that, and that work-life balance for you and for your team is vital, you know, vital. And, and, and you can't push down a work-life balance if you don't believe it. No. Right. No. So it's, it's part of setting, uh, setting the tone from coming from the top. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have to set the example and I, you know, I got sick. <laughs> you can probably hear it in my voice, but I, I, I know why it's it's because I was a little bit off balance in the past few weeks. I worked too much. We were stressed. It was a situation and I got sick. I noticed. And now what am I going to do to, you know, find that balance again? Uh, I, we're, we're very close to the values of slow living and slow living is, doesn't mean, you know, going live in the woods and have chickens right. and we're linen <laughs> off, and, off the grid, off the grid. No, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a way of being and it's, it's connecting with yourself and feeling slow inside, even if everything goes fast uh, around you. Maxime, thanks very much for your story, and you're going to hang around. We're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few moments. But first, our expert chat, as usual, let's get to it. And uh, we're talking marketing right now, and cause marketing in particular, with a, um, a colleague of mine. Christopher Parry is a senior consultant at our firm, TNKR Media, and Chris has a lot of experience with cause marketing and marketing for causes, including uh, the Humane Society Canada, where he was communications director for many years uh, before joining us here at TNKR. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So these days, as we've discussed on the show many times, the cause has to be part of your business model, right? I mean, if you're not doing some cause marketing as part of your marketing plan, you're behind, right? I mean, uh, that, that's that's what we encourage people to do is to incorporate it into your daily activities. Any quick tips as far as do's and don'ts of uh, promoting causes, especially on social media? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing about causes is that, especially when you're part of that cause, it, it can seem larger than life, you know, but but when you're sort of approaching it from a communications and marketing uh, perspective, less is is always more. And by that, I mean, you should be able to communicate your cause in two, three sentences at the most. The more complicated, the less likely you are to engage. Now, one one big sort of do in the in the spectrum of do's and don'ts is uh, you always want to provide the means or information for people to take action of some kind. Every post, uh, you know, if we're sort of, you know, using social media as an example, uh, should drive to something that lets the user feel like they are contributing in some meaningful way, be it a petition, a resource guide for consumers, an event that you're going to be sort of uh, featured in. These, you know, sort of uh, communications assets, you know, like a, a social media post that just sort of fall off a cliff, you know, are not only not going to engage people, they, they may actually sort of drive people away from the cause because they find it, you know, alienating, off-putting, they're unable to connect. Uh, and sort of one big don't that I would point out, you never really want to lead with doom and gloom unless absolutely necessary. Uh, yes, you want people to understand the climate consequences of fast fashion, but you also want to highlight the good that sustainable fashion is doing to make the world a better place. Uh, as I like to say, make me care, 
not despair. So it's interesting because I think cause marketing is is probably quite clear for uh, the nonprofit world. But I think in the last, I don't know how many years, but certainly recently, cause marketing has taken on a whole new approach in the for-profit world as we try to balance uh, the generations and the bottom line, which at one point in life, bottom line was a very simple accountant calculation. Today, it's a very complex uh, viewpoint on on what are you doing in society and what else are you providing other than bottom line? How do you use cause marketing from a for-profit environment? I've been doing a lot of writing lately on on how you know the pandemic, which is horrible, and you know everyone wishes it never happened, but how the pandemic has supercharged this type of thinking when it comes to incorporating causes into a for-profit environment. You know, clients and and onlookers and 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 I guess you know people within the media sphere they want to be able to connect and feel good about something that they're a part of, either as an employee or someone who supports this brand, you know, and there's a greater impetus than ever for for-profit, as well as, you know, not-for-profit, but for for-profit to show that they have values that are in line with, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the general sort of culture, you know, what matters in that moment. And, and so much of it comes down to awareness and listening and empathy. It's not just about, you know, throwing a, a dart at a, a dartboard and saying, okay, uh, this is what we care about. Give us our, our greenwashing certificate, please. You, you need to be keenly and consciously in that now moment. And, and that requires a greater sort of uh, impetus towards being connected at all levels, you know, and, and I've never really seen this, this type of, I guess, effort put into being engaged. It's, it's really a question of survival now for, for, for the, for the for-profit sector. And frankly, I think it's a, it's a change that we can all embrace. Yeah, it, it definitely is something that, that needs to change. I mean, the, the pendulum, like everything swings from one side to the other. My fear in some of this lies in, you know, jumping on a bandwagon for a cause that is not necessarily close to your heart, but rather makes a really good marketing story. And, you know, you, 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 you guys are working with clients directly. I mean, how do you weed out the fact that somebody might be going nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, I want to do cause marketing, as opposed to saying, where are your values? What is it you're bringing to the table? One, one thing I just want to point out right off the bat is that, you know, you really need to give people credit for the information they consume and, and how they parse that information. If you are disingenuous, it is going to come across immediately, no matter how we spin it, no matter how we package it. Really, like all of our, our, our client relations begin with a very simple and sincere conversation. A lot of that, you know, a lot of how we intuit, you know, what cause may be a good match for what brand or client comes down to, you know, clear and concise communication of ideas. You know, if, if that client cannot convey in a compelling way why we should care about what they're telling us about you have to ask yourself if if you know you're you're really doing your brand or business any good by trying to embrace something that you don't even believe in altruistic integrity i guess right is that it exactly <laughs> you know and sort of once we've established a communications plan you know there there are various assets that that really sort of lend themselves towards you know not only incorporating causes into uh, a business but 
really building them in a, in a meaningful and sort of grassroots way. Uh, one of the ways of going about this is newsletters. Uh, it, it may sort of sound antiquated, but it's, it's really a timeless, timeless tool. Um, you see, the thing about causes is that they're, they're not static events. They're ever evolving, they're fluid, changing every day. Uh, we've all heard the saying, don't miss the forest for the trees. Well, when we work in a movement, it's easy to lose sight of how much is going on at once. Uh, if the challenge of finding support for causes is keeping people engaged throughout the life cycle of that cause, uh, then it's important to keep customers, members, donors, whoever, uh, as updated as possible without overdoing it. So it's, it's really about more than, than just information sharing. It's about fostering a sense of, of inclusion. Thanks very much, Chris. Christopher Pere, TNKR Media, my colleague and senior consultant there. Very well done. And uh, I, Mike, I have to say, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the infrastructure, it's staying on top of it, but also making a long-term commitment and staying on top of the cause and making sure you're, you're just on top of everything about it and, and truly being a leader. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the uh, the flavor of the day kind of approach to this is is very difficult. I mean, if you choose to to jump on a cause that you know you're going you're to change again in six months, so do it personally. Do it under no, don't do it under the guise of of the organization because you cannot have people behind you buying in and committing if you're constantly changing what is important to the organization and and, and what causes and, and and it's a very difficult environment, especially the bigger the group you are. You know, if you've got multi generational environments, you have people that see the world in a very different light and it's very difficult to try and find that that equal balance that that ultimately creates uh, an awareness uh, of the organization at, versus an individual uh, perspective as we come to the close of our show let's turn to maxime morin head of rose buddha founder of rose buddha clothing line and ask her for her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur maxime my piece of advice would be find your difference Know your difference and stay close to your values. It's possible to do business and be true to yourself and your values. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks very much, Maxim. And Thank speaking of work-life so balance, my, my dog just woke up. She's been on my lap the entire show, by the way. That's my work-life balance. Thanks for your time today. Thank, Thank you so much, you. Maxim. Don't forget to catch up at uh, todaysentrepreneur.org. Subscribe on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform, and listen to hundreds of local entrepreneur stories. We'll see you back here next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.